Welcome and thank you for joining us here for the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship of Boise, Idaho. Bread and water is what we need and what we have in Jesus Christ. He said, come to me and drink. He said, I am the bread of life. However we adorn our Christian faith, it rests in this most basic thing. Christ is all. Let's learn from him. Let's learn about him. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. In Deuteronomy, we find God's command repeated multiple times to the people of Israel. When they go into the promised land and encounter those who are already living there, they are to utterly destroy them. We flinch at the ruthless nature of the command. We should first marvel at it. These were former slaves, with little in the way of armor and with no disposition for fighting, coming against a people who have built walled cities and have regularly been at war, an entrenched, well-armed foe who knows how to fight against a people who have been groomed to make bricks for their masters. How were they going to utterly destroy that foe? Well, they were to believe that God had already declared them victorious, that God had already assured them the victory, and in that attitude they were to go out and fight. This must be our attitude as well when facing temptation. We cannot go against it with the attitude of compromise. We must go out to utterly destroy the temptation, the sin that comes towards us. We must go out believing that this is our power because God has decreed it so. Saul, the king of Israel, was to utterly destroy the Amalekites, but he held back. And as we learn today, what you do not utterly destroy will bring destruction upon you. They come against these well-armed and fortified cities. They come against a foe that is completely and utterly entrenched within the land. This is David and Goliath before David and Goliath. How is it possible that they could obey this command? How is it possible? It's almost a ridiculous command. Doesn't God know how I've struggled with this all my life? Deuteronomy 7 verses 1 and 2 again. Listen to it this way. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess, the Lord your God and has cast out the nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hevites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. When the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. They were to believe that God had delivered the enemy greater and mightier than themselves over into their hands. And in that belief, they were to move forward to conquer and to destroy. It's so important when coming against the impulses of sin in your life that you believe that Jesus has already put to death the old man. That he's dead and he was dealt with at the cross. It's so important that you believe and you know that no power can resist the power of the Spirit of God within you and that He grants you the victory. To believe that God is greater than your sins and God is greater than your failures and God is greater than your selfish patterns that signal and royal and express themselves on a regular basis within your own flesh. To believe it and claim it 
and go forward in the might of the Spirit of God alone to put to death through the Spirit the things that are done in your flesh. Don't go out with any confidence in yourself. Please don't think that you can control and regulate and domesticate these patterns of behavior that are unworthy of your king. You can't. They'll grow and they'll overtake you. And don't think that you have in yourself what it takes to deal the blow to end their activities in your life. Zechariah said it through the Spirit of God, not my might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord, by Him alone. We sing a great song, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. Here's a line that you should memorize. You can repeat it to you when you find yourself failing, when you try to do something in your own strength. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in His strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. There's another great song that we've learned to sing. And the line is this. Turning my eyes from my own strength and my own power and my own ability. It says, We are led by one who has never lost a battle. And our adversary is a conquered foe. We are more than conquerors through our captain's triumph. Let us shout for victory as we onward go. Come to Him and seek the power of the Holy Spirit just for this purpose, to utterly destroy the vestiges of the old man lurking in your own flesh and with Him mean business. Mean it. Be committed to it. Here's one last thing. It's just a warning. What we see in the history of Israel is what you'll also see in your own life is that if you leave the enemy lurking, alive, sustained, nurtured, compromised with, not utterly destroyed, the economy of the Bible works this way, if you leave them alone, then you come under God's divine judgment and destruction will come upon you. If you don't destroy these things, then God works it out in such a way that as discipline upon your life as He lets these things bring their destruction upon you. The history of Israel bears witness that where they failed to utterly destroy the former inhabitants of the land, they ultimately became enslaved by those same peoples or looted by them. It was actually a judgment from God for their failure to obey Him in utterly destroying the purveyors of idolatry that were surrounding them and in the land that they would take occupancy over. If you read the book of Judges, this is after Joshua gives us the account of the various victories that the nation of Israel were engaged in in dealing with the inhabitants of the land of the promise and the Canaanites and the Hevites and the Girgashites and all of them, all of the ites. When you come to the end of Joshua, you begin to read the book of Judges. And when you come to the end of the first chapter of Judges, there is a list of a number of areas and peoples who are not utterly destroyed. It says some of them were put under orders and they were extracted tribute from and some became slaves and some areas were not destroyed at all. They were just accommodated in one way or another. And then you read chapter 2, the verse part of chapter 2. And the angel of the Lord goes up from a place called Gilgal, which was the place of blessing where God first blessed the nation of Israel and poured his spirit out upon them to empower them for victory as they went in conquest over the promised land. But now God comes, the spirit of God leaves Gilgal and he goes to a place called Bochum. And Bochum is not the place of blessing, it's the place of weeping. And in Bochum, the angel of the Lord issues this statement. Verses 1 through 3. Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I led you from Egypt. I brought you to the land which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. 
but you've not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. Take your Bibles and go to 2 Samuel chapter 1 for just a moment. Remember I told you that Saul's command was to go out and utterly destroy all of the Amalekites and all those living among the Amalekites and he claimed that he had done it but obviously didn't and we know at least he didn't kill Agag and Agag is hacked to pieces but we know Saul has let go certain trophies and he's not completely fulfilled what God commanded him and as a result the kingdom is taken from him. But what's interesting is what we read here. Verses 1 through 13. It describes the last battle of Saul and his death. Now it came to pass after the death of Saul, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, and David had stayed two days in Ziklag on the third day, behold, it happened that a man from Saul's camp, with his clothes torn and dust on his head, so it was when he came to David that he fell on the ground and prostrated himself. And David said to him, Where have you come from? And he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. Then David said to him, How did the matter go? Please tell me. And he answered, The people have fled from the battle. Many of the people are fallen and dead. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. So David said to the young man who told him, How do you know that Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead? Then the young man told him and said, As I happened by chance to be on Mount Gilboa, There was Saul leaning on his spear, and indeed the chariots and the horsemen followed hard after him. Now when he looked behind him, he saw me and called me, and I answered him, Here am I. And he said to me, Who are you? And so I answered him, I am an Amalekite. And he said to me again, Please stand over me and kill me, for anguish has come upon me, for my life still remains in me. So I stood over him and killed him because I was sure that he would not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet was on his arm, and I brought them here to my Lord. Therefore David took hold of his own clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with them. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. Then David said to the young man who told him, Where are you from? And he answered, I am the son of an alien, an Amalekite. Saul utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Saul didn't do it. And Saul's life had brought upon himself the destruction of the Amalekite. When we live in compromise, God allows those very compromises to plague our lives as a form of discipline. And the answer to it can only be this. God, forgive me. From now on, by the power of your Spirit, my attitude will be to utterly root out and destroy and remove anything that asserts itself against your kingdom rule in my life. For that, power has been given. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, it would not be right for us to carry forth a fleshly inquisition in our own lives. We would misidentify so many things. 
but your spirit sees precisely and really and deeply. And we ask that you would open our eyes and illumine our hearts and minds by your spirit to see within ourselves those attitudes, those thoughts, those actions surfacing and spinning away that defy your lordship in our life, that are expressions of our own desires and our own designs to be in control of all things. And oh, Jesus, in this hour, in this morning, at this time, by your Spirit come with powerful majesty and militant authority and call us forward into a battle to be utterly done with every point of compromise and to be done with every excuse and every reason and rationale that we've given to nurse it along and leave it there unaddressed. And at your feet we fall and in your victory we claim and ask for victory believing it, oh God, help us to go forward to do the business of the battle. And we ask it for your glory. We ask it, O oh God, that what might motivate our hearts and what might strengthen our hands is a pure and potent love for our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Captain, our King, our Leader, that we would go into this fight with such a joy and such a relish for Him that it would be our delight to do away with anything that competes, anything that gives expression to our own self-exaltation and not His glory. Claim the promise trust and obey. You've been listening to the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until our next time, may God bless you.